I'm trying to do is make a living enjoying myself. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to build some huge thing. So, you know, I've started, at some point I started to realize I just need to enjoy myself. I mean, I'm very happy to say, and this is like the last tip on my, in my book, that I didn't miss my kids growing up. My youngest just went to college. I went to every game, every parent's night. You know, I never had work get in the way. Came home for dinner. I come home for lunch every day. Plan to fail so you won't. Production will solve all your problems. Some will, some won't. Stop whining, so what? Just hit your weekly production goal. The weekend starts now. Our podcast today is with Michael Katz. Michael is an award-winning humorist and former corporate marketer, Blue Penguin founder, and Chief Penguin. Michael Katz specializes in helping professional service firms stand out as likable experts. Since launching Blue Penguin in 2000, Michael has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Business Week Online, Forbes.com, Inc.com, the Boston Globe, and other national and local media. He is the author of four books and has published more than 400 issues of the Likeable Expert Gazette, a twice-monthly email newsletter and podcast with 6,500 passionate subscribers in over 40 countries around the world. Michael has an MBA from Boston University and a BA in psychology from McGill University in Montreal. He also has a second-degree black belt in karate, a first-degree black belt in parenting, three children, and is a past winner of the New England Press Association Award for Best Humor Columnist. Michael is launching his new book today titled The Likeable Expert, 121 Insights to Start Your Day and Grow Your Business. Welcome, Michael Katz. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you? Very good. Launch, Very good. Di- launch day. Launch day. Got your rockets filled with fuel. and <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit like, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, this is number four. You should know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there they're usually like 10 years apart, so oh. <laughs> it's like children. I kind of forget. <laughs> did you uh, stay up and watch a game last night? Uh, no, I did not, although I heard it went extra innings. So, I was uh, thinking of you about 1130. I was thinking of you. God, I wonder if Michael's watching the game. It's 1230 there, so I'll have to get on him in the morning. Yeah, yeah. So who are you pulling for? Uh, I'm pulling for Houston. Mm-hmm. And you? I'm not really pulling. I'm a basketball fan. I uh I have a, I'd say I have a, a passing interest in baseball. Like when it hits the World Series, I just want it to be close. Yeah. So that, like, if, if the Dodgers had won, I would have thought, oh, okay, it's all over. I want it to be close so I can, I can watch the seventh game and get it, and get it all. So. Yep, yeah. it's good. Yeah. My son Tucker's on with us. He actually runs the podcast, so I will kind of turn it over to him, and you guys can visit for a while, and we'll go from there. All right, hi Tucker, how you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? Very good. Are you guys in the same physical location or no? Yeah, we're just uh, sitting across the table from each other. So we've got a little recording studio here, and uh, uh, works works pretty nicely. So oh, great, great. Is there anything uh, that uh, you don't want to talk about? You want to stay away from? My mother. Okay. No, really, no, nothing. <laughs> Any topic you got, it's great. Awesome. Sounds good. So um, we'll start out uh, pretty easy, I guess. Um, if you're 
uh, say, ride in an elevator or you run into somebody on an airplane or something and say, hey, what do you do anyway? How do you respond to that? Uh, I say I'm a marketing coach, and I specialize in working with very small professional service companies and individuals. Okay. And so how did you get that? How did you get into that? How did that all start? Uh, well, I never expected to work for myself. I mean, I, I have no, uh, there's no entrepreneurial anything in my family background. My, my dad actually worked for the same company in the same location his entire career. And uh, I've got two older brothers. One is a tenured college professor, and the other is a partner in a law firm. So we're like not, we don't take risk in my family. And, and I was pretty much on the same path. I went to college, went to business school, and then I worked for a couple of places. Then the last job I had, I was there for 12 years. Um, and I, if you had asked me even a couple of years before I left, I would have said, you know, I'll be here or something place like here forever. But um, a, a few things happened. One was um, the Internet. So in the late 90s, I, I used to work for the cable company. In the late 90s, I just by luck got involved with what is now your cable company giving you high-speed Internet access. You know, you used to have to dial up, and it was all phone-based. And so it was this little side thing that became my job and then became, you know, this huge thing. So I got very involved in the Internet. I really liked it. I remember, you know, how amazing email was when I first saw it. Um, and in the late 90s, if you didn't, if you had a job, you felt like you were missing out. I mean, I, no exaggeration. I knew four or five people who started some ridiculous company and then sold it to people like Amazon in, in you know, a matter of months. So I was eager to kind of do something. So that was one reason I started thinking about leaving my job. Um, and then I also was at the point where I was like, gee, I'm pretty much leveling off here. I mean, I was good enough to never get fired, but I'm not really particularly well-suited to middle management. And so I started realizing, wow, this is as far as I'm really going in a huge company. And, I, you know, I just thought, boy, if I'm ever going to do anything, now's the time. So I, I left in 2000, and I decided what I was going to do was focus on helping companies build websites because – that was all brand new, and I had some experience with that in my company. Um, and then it, was, it wasn't working very well at all. I, I actually I find this amazing. It didn't occur to me to think about, where am I going to get clients from? I just thought, oh, I'll just build websites. And so, and even though I was a marketing guy in my company, none of the things I knew about marketing had anything to do with getting clients as a solo. You know, there's no budget, there's no brand recognition, there's no staff of people doing stuff for you. And so I, I pretty much had to learn from the beginning how do you get clients. And along the way, you know, I stumbled on some things, one of which and which I still rely on was publishing an email newsletter every couple of weeks. And that I started doing just because I like writing and I was writing about the Internet. But I found that because I was writing on a regular basis, people started to ask me to help them develop newsletters for their own company. And there were people who came from the newsletter, and so it just kept growing. And that's really the, the basis of what I do now. I mean, not that it's just newsletters, but it's the same idea, which is if you can just stay in front of a group of people ongoing in a way that positions you, as I like to call it, as a likable expert, then they hire you, and they talk about you, and they trust you. I mean, I, it's amazing to me how I run into people sometimes who get my newsletter, who I've never even met, who, like, know things, like, about my family, and they, they sort of talk to you like they know you. 
even though it's it's kind of an illusion because they don't really know me, but they have this level of familiarity and trust. And I think if you're selling a professional service, that's really what what you need. So that's how I got here. So in those early days, I mean, I know how kind of email capture happens now, but how did you start out with uh, you know people to send that email to? Well, um, even when I had a job, because I was so excited about the Internet, through my human resources department, I used to give a class for people on the Internet. I remember I was like, okay, there's this company you can, you can buy books online <laughs> called Amazon. And so I would just – I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but the company was really worried about stuff because just like social media now, people were doing stupid things on email and, you know, saying stuff they shouldn't say. And so – they were very interested in my giving these classes. They'd be, I don't know, 20 or 30 people at a time. And so those people who wanted it, because, again, I was already writing about the Internet when I had a job, opted in. And so when I left my job, I don't know, maybe I had 100 people on the list. And, yeah, I left on good terms. And so I just kept emailing them. It wasn't even really a newsletter. It was just a group email. But... The interesting thing was people I'd never heard of started asking to be added to the list, which although that's very common today, that was very weird in 2000. You know, it'd be like somebody you've never heard of wants to be added to the distribution list of, like, your kid's soccer team or something. You're like, who the hell are you? But I just did it. And then, you know, I I, I did it very manually. I was very early in with the constant contact people who are right here in Boston. And, um, I mean, I remember calling them up and, like, they had like 30 people. I went to see them. And when I saw what they were doing, which was here's an efficient tool for gathering names and publishing, I was like, oh, this is great. And that was probably early 2001. And even back then, you know, if you put, if you put that on your website, people would add their names just like today. In fact, I'd say it was easier because people were excited about signing up for things, whereas today, of course, they're very concerned about, uh, do I want one more thing to have to read, you know? So um, you you have this uh, good email list, and and then one day you get a call from somebody saying, "Can you uh, consult with me, or can you help me with problem X?" And you have no idea about their industry. What goes through your mind? What do you say? Do you immediately take the job, or do you say, "I, I know nothing about that"? Or <laughs> how did that work? Well, so initially my plan was to do websites. And the newsletter thing was just a fun thing. So what happened initially was people would call me up and say, can you help us do a website? And I would say, oh, I don't do that. I'm busy, you know, failing over here <laughs> with websites because that never worked. Eventually I realized, oh, people, the newsletter itself is what's making this happen. And so I, I, I became newsletter guy. And for a good 10 years, if you had said to me, hey, when you're on an airplane and someone says, what do you do? I used to say, I do one thing and one thing only, email newsletters. And so, uh, and I still do them. I mean, just as an aside, and again, this was accidental, it's a great business model for someone like me because I've got two clients I've had for over 15 years. I mean, month after month you do their newsletter, and so you, it, it, it smooths out the income stream. And I still have, I don't know, I probably do eight or nine or ten newsletters a month. Um, and I do get that question. Have you ever helped anybody in, you know, biopharma do a newsletter? And my answer is always, at this point, often the answer is, well, yes. But, so I say, well, I have, but actually it doesn't matter. Because my approach to newsletters 
and marketing in general at this you know sort of small level is it's got to be your knowledge and your personality that goes out to your list. So I'm the facilitator. I often describe myself as I'm kind of like a juicer, but you're the orange. So your problem is you have all this knowledge about biopharma or you know accounting or whatever, but you don't know how to get it out of you in a way that other people can sort of consume it. I'm really good at getting it out of your head, but it doesn't matter what it is because my skill is forcing you, if you will, to simplify it to the point where a person who's not in your industry can understand what you're talking about. So the fact that I may know nothing about accounting is actually a benefit because I, I keep saying, well, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of getting the juice out of my clients' heads, and it doesn't really matter, uh, at least on the newsletter side. On the marketing coaching side, I think it matters a little more. But my clients are all professional service people. They're all in the same boat. They're, like, really good at whatever they do, accounting, recruiting, coaching, whatever. But they don't know anything about marketing, and they hate selling. It's, and the problems are all the same. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you're selling. It's more about how do you get in front of people and position yourself as a likable expert and, you know, what, what do you do every day for marketing. So the industry thing doesn't matter so much. So what um, – and I have a, a personal problem with this, but what – causes um, somebody to call you and say, we need your help? Because a lot of times I'm going, well, I can figure it out myself. I don't need yeah. to, to hire a, a likable expert. I can, I can do this myself. So uh, right. at what point do they say, we need to talk to Michael? Well, my belief is that nobody's ever going to hire anyone until they have a problem that they can't fix themselves or that they don't want to spend the time doing. And it's anything. Like, you don't, you're not going to call a carpenter but put a new deck on the back of your house if you know how to do it and you have the time. So there has to be some level of we can't fix this because going outside your company, <clears throat> excuse me, even if your company is one person, to hire somebody, not only does it cost money, it takes time, it's, you know, it's a pain. So people have to recognize that they have a problem they can't fix, and <clears throat> you're absolutely right. There's plenty of people who don't need me because they already understand it or they read a book and, you know. But it's the same thing. There's plenty of people who don't need a guy to change the, the oil of their car, and they can't believe other people charge them for it. Sure. Uh, so where did the penguins come from? <clears throat> other penguins, of course. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me go over Where did the blue one come from? Uh, well, you know, when I started my company, I, I've sort of backed into my explanation, but it's not true. Now I say to people, well, you know, my whole thing is helping people be likable experts, and penguins are actually likable experts. Like, nobody has anything bad to say about a penguin. But that's, I didn't have that idea back then. I was going to name it after myself, like everyone else does, you know, Cats and Associates. And then I thought, oh, that's kind of boring, and, geez, I could do whatever I want. And so I, I took about a month off between leaving my job and starting this, and I was just playing around with stuff, and I was like, gee, I, like, I don't know. I always liked penguins. And uh, I needed some modifier. It was, I thought about flying penguin for a while, bald penguin, because I'm bald. And I just ended up with blue. But interestingly, some of my best ideas were all accidents. Even though that was kind of accidental, I you know, wasn't really thinking about it from a branding perspective. It's really good because it's so memorable. I mean, I went to, I went to an event the other night, the, a book signing for a friend of mine. And it's here in Boston. You know, Boston's sort of... It is kind of a small town in many ways. Um, and I go up to someone, and um, she sees my name tag, which just says my name. 
And she goes, oh, you're the blue penguin guy. <laughs> There's no way she would have said, oh, you're the Cats and Associates guy. So it's been a really sort of sticky uh, differentiator, even though a, the marketer that I was you know, 17 years ago would have advised me against it. Little too, you know, it's a little too quirky. It says nothing about the work I do. Not a good company name, but I've actually found that that's part of why it's interesting. Because everybody else, if they don't name it after themselves, they come up with some combination like you know, marketing solutions, innovations, or whatever. And you know, no one ever knows what that is except them. So I, I'm always again telling small companies and individuals, if you don't have something that's interesting. It's okay to name your company whatever you name it, but it's not going to you're not getting any mileage out of it because no one's going to know it. Because unlike you know Nike, that's going to spend a billion dollars in advertising, you're not going to spend any, and so it's not going to buy you anything. Yeah, I love it. I uh, I got my degree in graphic design, so I, I spent four years learning about how to think about things differently and market them in right, a uh, right. in a more interesting way. But I'll take a little bit of a left turn here. Uh, who's the most successful person you know and why? Um, well, that's a, uh, I guess it depends on what you mean by successful. Um, so uh, that's uh, a that's the yeah. lovely thing you get to define define it. Yeah, for us. yeah. Uh, I would say um, that, I mean, here's another way to answer it. Maybe sort of answering who 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 do I most envy? <laughs> and my answer is people who have a particular skill that allows them to to sort of just show up and do it, and not to say there isn't effort involved. So that tends to be stand-up comedians, somebody like James Taylor. Again, not to say that he's not, like, practicing, but he has this, I mean, the idea that you can just, you have this thing that you can do, or, you know, LeBron James, um, that you are getting paid for, this unique combination of skills you have, some of which you were just born with and some of which you've developed, and that you make a really good living doing it, and you're doing exactly what you want to do every day. So that, to me, is like, you know, that's success. And, yes, I suppose they're all, they're all you know, making a lot of money at, at some level, but I think that it's just because that, that's why they're visible to me. But even someone who is, you know, happy being a, uh, you know, a musician of some kind, that would be my kind of thing. But, Michael, that's what you do to us. Um, I don't know how I ever subscribed to your email. or where It, it showed up in my inbox somehow. I don't know how. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of coaching and training, and, and I read a lot. Uh, I do a, uh, a conference call every Friday with my agency, and so I'm always looking for information. And I get a lot of, as you do, a lot of garbage in my email every day that I eliminate. But for some reason, obviously, the Blue Penguin jumped out at me. But um, you come across i mean what you do is to me is amazing you make it all seem so simple but i truly look forward to your email your uh two weekly gazette or whatever and what's interesting is i forget about you i mean i'll be going through my daily stuff every morning i get on all my 40 50 emails come downloading into my cascading into my email file and i delete 93 percent of them probably and then all of a sudden oh about every 10 15 days all of a sudden i get the blue penguin i'm going all right and and i know it's going to take me about six to ten minutes to read what you wrote i don't listen to your podcast i read it um and it entertains me and it makes me smile and i look forward to it and so you're the person that you want to emulate already to me because you make 
oh, when you talked about the ice cream man or when you, when you guys were moving into your new house and, and getting rid of all the old junk. And it's just stuff like I'm going, ah, I know what he's talking about. But you bring it across in such an amazing way that's very entertaining. And I love, your, I love reading your information. Thanks. I, I, I really appreciate that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I, I pretty much feel like I'm doing what I want to be doing, you know, life-wise. I mean, there's still people... There's still people back at that company I used to work with who are still there. <laughs> yep, they will be. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, man, I would have – well, I, I like to think I would have been there, but I wouldn't have. I would have been laid off long ago because I didn't have – you know, it was like I wasn't sort of firing on all cylinders. I mean, just actually that's another reason I ended up leaving, which was that the stuff I felt like I was particularly good at, writing, even humor, was sort of interesting in a big company, but it wasn't really that anything to do with my job. And so I was just in the sort of it wasn't the right fit. You were the class clown, huh? Yeah, not even. <laughs> it was just more like, you know, I'm like the guy, like if someone retired, I'd be the one who's like, you know, to get up and sit and talk about the person. Or I, you know, I'd occasionally write some joke thing about, you know, something we all knew was going on in the company. But I always had to be careful that I didn't you know, cross the line. And now it's like the humor part. Is, is a big differentiator for me in the stuff I write. So it's, you know, it's good. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good. So uh, what are you passionate about? And usually when I ask this question, you know, I get the, the canned answer of, you know, I'm passionate about helping people or I'm, I'm passionate about making, you know, their business grow for them and things like that. But I, I'm talking kind of outside of work and, and what you do for a living. Uh, what are you passionate yeah. about? And don't worry, I don't care about other people. <laughs> I like to say, my wife's the giver. I'm the taker. <laughs> yeah, I, that's my marriage. <laughs> um, well, I um, I don't know if this is relevant at all, but the thing I look forward to most in my entire life is Tuesday night basketball. And I'm a little concerned because I, I'm 57. It's like, how many more years can I play basketball? But there's a thing in my town where there's there's this... Uh, like league, you know, for you have to be, I think, officially over 30, but it, it tends to be more towards mid-40s. But for whatever reason, I, it has so many elements of what I really like. It's, it's, sort of, it's pretty much the same group of people. It's competitive but friendly. I really like playing basketball, go out to the local bar afterwards. It's like I'm very passionate about that. Um, it has so many elements of what I like. It's good for you, you know. So. Did you grow up in Boston? No, or, I grew or, up on Long Island in New York. Okay. I was going to say because Boston obviously has a basketball heritage that goes back before almost the Pilgrims showed up. Well, you know, what's funny is, uh, you know, I've been here since 1982. And so, and I'm not a huge sports fan, even though I watch it. I don't, you know, live and die by teams and stuff. But the only Boston thing that I cannot get around still are the Celtics. I hate the Celtics. I grew up in New York. <laughs> yeah, you Next. would. So we we were like, you know, Celtic pride. We hate that. So uh, <laughs> that's the only the only thing I guess. I'm like a Red Sox fan and a Patriots fan, but uh, not the Celtics. But yes, it it is it is a a, a basketball town in some ways. Around, because it's funny. This is a very Boston thing. When I go to that same bar, if the Celtics are not playing tonight. There's hockey on. Like, 
Boston people only care about the Celtics. They're not actually basketball fans. <laughs> You're not going to see some great basketball game on at a random bar if it's not the Celtics. And once the Celtics are eliminated, you've got to go up and like, ask the bartender to put the game on for you. So it's a funny thing. So I wanted to dig in your childhood a little bit. Uh, it sounds like you and your brothers are all very well educated. Um, what was it like growing up in New York, and what did your parents do? Uh, my dad is actually the American dream, in a sense. So my dad's parents were immigrants. He's the only one of his six brothers and sisters born in this country. English isn't even his first language. And he went from being a, a part-time bank teller to when he retired, he was president. So he's like, you know, go to work, do your thing, and all is good. I think that's sort of why um, my brothers and I got that. Um, Where were they from? But anyway, nothing remarkable uh, childhood-wise. I mean, I didn't didn't like New York. I was very eager to get out. I went to school in Montreal. And then when I got out, I didn't want to stay in. I probably couldn't have stayed anyway just because it's a different country, but too cold up there. So I was looking for a place to move to. And uh, it ended up being Boston, so that was it, that worked out really well. Boston's a great place to move to when you're 21. <laughs> Where did they immigrate from? Uh, Lithuania. Cool. You don't have an accent. <laughs> you don't sound like New York. You don't sound like a Kennedy. New York accent comes out now, and I can't say drawer. <laughs> drawer. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I'm I'm, I'm hidden here. So uh, about when did you realize um, this whole uh, email list marketing consulting thing was actually going to work and you were enjoying what you were doing and, oh, my gosh, I might be able to make a career out of that? When did that happen? It's like Monday this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, just on that, when I left, the way I looked at it was, I'll try this for a year, and after a year, if it's not working, you know, all right, I'll go back and get a job. But then a year came and went, and um, I was doing okay. I had a little money saved so that I could leave, but I hadn't really reached any point that I thought was, like, definitive, and so I gave it another year. And then same thing. It kind of came and went. I hadn't missed any mortgage payments, but it was like, huh. And then after the third year, I realized that that's actually kind of an illusion, this idea that you're going to arrive and you're done. And what I found is that there, there is no end point at all. Like, in fact, to me, you're successful the day you walk out of your job. But even today, I can't, like, not keep my eye on the ball for very long or, you know, the client work would go away. So it's not like I, even though I'm doing what I like and I, there's so many things I like, you know, about the work and my clients are great and, you know, and there's no commute or dress code or any of that stuff. But it's not like I just put it on autopilot. In fact, I think the difference between a job and working on your own, it's they're like mirror images. So, you know, in a job you have to commute and deal with, you know, office politics and maybe you hate your boss and all that kind of stuff. But you get paid every two weeks no matter what. And unless you're in some type of commission job, you get paid every two weeks no matter how well you did. I mean, they might eventually fire you or promote you, but the money just keeps coming. When you work on your own, it's the exact opposite. You can do anything you want. The only thing you don't have anymore is money (laughs) unless you make it happen. And so to me, that's a very easy, obvious trade-off. But you still have to keep doing it. And, again, it took me – it took me a good, like, three or four years to just realize, oh, 
It's just always going to be this way. Um, and so I worry less. But, you know, still got to pay attention because you never know. So you've got a, a new book coming out um, today, actually. Yeah. Uh, and it's your fourth. Is that right? Yeah. At, at what point did you say, hey, I need to write a book? Or, um, hey, this information um, that I need to get out to people can only come in, in book form. Um, I really like writing books. I really like having books. Like, you know, when you, when you sell a service, there's nothing really tangible about it. So I could do this for 50 years, and when I'm done, you know, it all sort of just evaporates. So what I like about writing newsletter, but book as well, because it's physical, is that that's like, the, to me, that'll be the legacy of anything I did was my newsletters um, or my books, which, um, you know, relate to them. So, so I, I just like having books. Um, in fact, I'm waiting for my shipments because I have, I have one, but I'm waiting for them to deliver my, like, whatever I ordered, like 100 books. That's very exciting when they bring the UPS guy shows up. It could happen while we're on the call. Who knows? By the way, thank you. I have one, too. So there's two on Earth. That's right. Um, but anyway, um, I don't write real books in the sense that, in fact, I don't know how people actually do them. So I, my book, this this book launch party I went to for a friend. So his book, it's it's I don't know 240 pages, but it's chapters and it's you know diagrams and the book as a whole, you know, runs from beginning to end and makes sense in that way. I don't see how people keep track of what they've talked about and how to order it like that. My brain doesn't work that way. What I do is um, I write on a regular basis and then eventually take what I've written and turn it into a book. So this book that's coming out today, which is called The Likeable Expert, 121 Insights to Start Your Day and Grow Your Business, is based on a blog I've been doing for, I don't know, three or four years where I just write a quick thing that's a an insight or a tip for your own business. Like, it'll be like, hey, today I went to a friend's book launch party and I bought one of his books. Buy people's books because they'll always remember you and they appreciate it. You know, it could be something like that. Or it could be like, today I got a call from my bank and it was terrible and here's why and here's how you as a small company can do a lot better than that. You know, a little more specific, but really short, like one page each. And then at some point I thought, oh, I'm just going to create a sort of best of of these and make it a book. And so... I had written, I don't know, like 350 of them, and I literally spent half a day in Starbucks one day and just went through 350 of them saying, yes, no, no, yes, these are the ones I'm going to keep. And at the end, I had 121 of them, and it became a book. <laughs> My previous book was in 29 past newsletters. So I'm, like, always writing a book. It's just in this shorter format, and that actually has played to my advantage because um, – I think as a practical matter, you're much more likely to read my 121 tips than you would read my 240-page you know, business book. So I, I want people to read it, not just you know, have done it. So it, it kind of works out because I think people, for whatever reason, don't seem to read as much as they used to. Sure. I love it. It's inspiring because I was just thumbing through it here and, and reading through it. You know, in the five minutes here before we got on, I read like seven of them, and I'm like, Hey, I could do this. You know, I could. I have something to share that's that short and sweet and easy. So, I don't yeah, know. yeah. In fact, I encourage people. Uh, I'm close with, with one client. Once you've published a bunch of newsletters, you could easily turn that into a book. 
um, you know, you knew, you knew a certain amount. But if, you know, like the one I did, which was 29, and again, it was somewhat a function of, okay, what do, which do I have that are, that are good enough that I'd put them in a book, and, I, you know, I need a certain amount to make it a book. But um, that size, 29, if you had written 50, you, you could come up with, you know, 30 that were good. And then there's a book. It's very... I found it very satisfying to have this physical thing. It's an, it's a nice sort of celebration event, um, and whether it makes sense or not, having a book, being a published author is a great credential in the business world. I mean, it doesn't. The second book doesn't advance that any further. Because once it's like being a parent. Once you have one kid, you're you're a parent. But having a published book has people go, oh, she must be an expert. And so it's a little bit of an illusion, but. I always encourage people that it's worth doing if you, you know, if you if you want to kind of put the time in for it. So this next one is kind of a two-part question, and I feel that uh, the answer to the first part is kind of what we just talked about: is why start a podcast? Um, but the second part is um, you are. I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and you are an amazing storyteller. Um, is that a skill that you've refined, or is that a gift that you've been given? Um, um, I think it's, um, well, it definitely falls under the heading of the more you do it, the better you get at it. But I am a, I, I, I tend to tell stories. I actually tend to tell, like, I like telling jokes. Not like one-liners, but like if I have a good joke, I'm just looking for people I haven't told it to yet. <laughs> and so that is really storytelling. And, you know, there's a certain, I mean, I, I'm not kidding when I say if I were like, more talented and a little more neurotic, I'd want to be a stand-up comedian. Like, to me, that's, other than the lifestyle and all, but the idea that you stand up in front of a group of people and you essentially tell stories and you get to keep refining them over and over again, I love that idea. So I think the storytelling somewhat comes naturally because it goes with the humor stuff. And then I've gotten way better at it when I first started doing the podcast. I think I, you know, I forget how many, but I started doing the newsletter long ago, and then maybe the podcast is like, you know, eight or nine years ago. And my podcast, unlike yours, where, you know, you're interviewing people, mine is just a spoken version of my newsletter. And since I, I write the way I talk, it's pretty close. I mean, I, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm reading it, but if you compare it, you know, it's pretty close. And so I've gotten better and more, you know, at the beginning, it's really weird to, to talk that way when you're standing alone in your office, but... You know, after a while, you get used to it. I know I attended your um, storytelling and business um, seminar, webinar. Oh, yeah, back right, right. November of 2015. And that may have been where I tied into you originally because I, I have one of the modules in our training system is storytelling. Uh, I think it's so important in the business of sales uh, to tell great stories, to be able to tell great stories to our clients, actually use their information they've given you, put it back into a story or something to uh, help our clients understand how important it is for them to purchase our final expense life insurance products and, and, and things like right. that. So, yeah, I think storytelling is uh, an art that is going away, mostly because I don't think people read to their kids much anymore. I know my wife's an elementary education teacher, and so as we were raising our children, I mean, every night before we went to bed, we would read. Uh, I think right. Tucker was probably – I'm don't even i not even sure if he was uh, cognitive. <laughs> but we, we were reading to him in bed, you know, when he was probably six months old, and, and I know he does the same thing with his children. So storytelling to me is I love doing it. I, I love, you know, spinning that, that information out there from the perspective of a story. But, yeah, you do a great job of it. 
I mean, it's funny. People are afraid to do it also. Like, I, you know, as, as I work with clients, particularly on newsletters, where there's an opportunity um, over and over again, there's definitely this progression in their willingness to reveal st things about them. Like, I, I just launched somebody's newsletter, a small firm, like 15-person firm, consulting. And um, we launched it about a month ago. We just published the second edition today. And it's a group of two or three people who are the principals. And they're, they're very, you know, the, the thing that's amazing to me is these people are very friendly and, you know, how's your weekend? How are your kids? They're like really nice people. And they're actually very good networkers. The, the woman who's the founder, her whole business is based on her ability to interact with people over drinks or lunch or whatever. In fact, the reason they're doing a newsletter is they want to scale it beyond her ability to go to lunch with people. But she's very good at talking to people about personal stuff. But when it comes to writing this, she's trying to – all that stuff goes away. Oh, we don't want to bore people. No one has time. It feels a little unprofessional. And I, I feel like I spend a lot of time with people like that, and hopefully I'll, I'll be able to, you know, work them over, over the coming months. To, even though they acknowledge it consciously, that – you need to do, you'd never walk into a business lunch and just start talking business. You always say, how you doing? Oh, wow, parking's really bad, all that kind of stuff. And so to me, those are all stories. But that's how people get to know you and feel like they can trust you. And so I try and have people bake that into the things they write. But it, it always starts with a lot of reluctance. I've never, had, I've never had to say to a client, you know, I think you're a little too chatty here. <laughs> Let's get down to business. It's always the opposite. And they sort of slowly open up. So um, your your most recent podcast um, was about uh, abandoning some self-imposed business rules. Yeah. Um, first of all, how did you start uh, with those rules? How did you come up with those? And also, how is the, the abandoning of those <laughs> going? Well, uh, one thing, you know, when you work alone, you're making it up as you go. And and. It's very easy, I think, to, to adapt these, like, here's how I do it kind of things without giving it a lot of thought. So one of them was I don't collaborate with anyone. I, you know, I hire people. You know, I have, a, I have a graphic designer. I have a tech guy. I have a virtual assistant. But I don't have any partners, and I don't partner with people on projects. And I realized that that came from having worked in a big company where, again, I was the marketing guy. And I would be on the front end of, you know, doing a deal or something, and then I had a hope that the, the people who, who delivered the service actually did a decent job. Uh, and remember, I worked for the cable company, so that was usually hit or miss. And I remember thinking at one point, I want a company where I can say to you, here's what I'm going to do, and then I can go do it. And there's no worry that it won't get done because I got my hands on everything. And so I, that became sort of my rule and it occurred to me recently, huh, I've got, a, you know, on a pretty regular basis, people ask me if I want to get involved or, you know, not become my partner, but collaborate on something. And I'm usually like, no, nah. you know, I say it however I say it, but the answer in my head is like, no, I don't do that. So I think you just start to make some stuff up, which can be helpful. I mean, I think it's good to have your sort of rules of the road. But after a while, you don't even notice that you made them anymore and you just kind of follow them. And so I, I, I'm trying to uh, 
break out of that. The other one is I only, pri- I, I only price flat fee. Like everything I do is project-based. And that came from, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to that. And when I did nothing but newsletters, that works really well, just given how newsletters work, to say, you know, it's unlimited time of my time. You know, even things like the design underneath the newsletter project or the tech piece, which varies quite a bit depending on the client. I say to them, here's the price, and I take care of all that. You don't, you don't, you don't have to do any, worry about any of that. What I found, though, as I started to do other stuff, coaching and things like that, is that it's way squishier than something like a newsletter where I know we're going to get to a certain point and here's how it's going to go. And my, my unwillingness to do any work that wasn't project-based ended up sometimes where I'd say to somebody, uh, you know, yeah, I don't think I'm the right person for you, you know, because maybe I just couldn't figure out, you know, which of my service packages I could fit this person in. So I'd send them away with, like, sorry, and I'd lose a client. Now I'm much more open to that. I'm like, well, how could we make this work? And I, I still don't want to work hourly, but I've done other stuff that's, that's, that's squishier than just one price for the whole thing. So, you know, again, it's just a thing I made up, which has served me in some ways, but has also been kind of a, you know, a little prison cell in other ways. Michael, do you feel that, um, I'm, as you were talking, I'm thinking back, I've been in, in this business for 29 years, and I can remember when I was first in the business, I mean, I called it groveling. I would grovel for business. I would, I would do anything. Someone says, well, can you do this? Absolutely. You know, and you find out it, it takes more time than it was actually worth. Um, yeah. And I know today, um, when I'm with a client, it's, I, this is how it is, take it or leave it. You know, it's like, because I'm fortunately, you know, I'm to the point financially, I say, if, if I make the sale, great. If I don't, I'm going to the next house anyway. Do you yeah. feel that, that your success in this business and, and your track record and, and you know, you've kind of looked back on some of the things you wasted your time on, you just finally say, no, I don't, first of you, I don't want you as a client, you know, and, and sometimes you can't, obviously you can never say that, but it's like, no, you're going to wear me out. Uh, you're not going to pay me enough to wear me out. So thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I definitely think that, like you, it, it's evolved, especially the, for some reason I've never had a trouble, no matter how bad I am in financial straits, not having that in my head when I'm talking to someone. So I, I've never done work that, you know, I shouldn't be doing, pretending I can or whatever, just for the money. But I have worked with people who I didn't really like, and now, and, I mean, and I haven't done that for, you know, 15 years, where I'm pretty good at now. Again, because my stuff is, is so, you know, when you're coaching someone, it's like, you know, it's not quite therapy, but you've got to really connect with them. And so if I don't like you, for whatever reason, it's not going to work. And so I've gotten really good at knowing, okay, I don't really like this guy. Or, you know, as you said, oh, these people may be nice, but they're going to they're gonna be trouble. It's just going to go around and around and around. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I, I, you know, I've, I frequently say to people, you know what, uh I think you need somebody like this. Like I'll tell you, it's the, two, the two types of people who, want, who come to me that I turn away. One is they're actually looking for direct response copywriting. Like, can you write me a sales letter that I can email to people? Because, you know, I do, I do writing and I do email. But I always say, no, that, that's like its own science. And it is a science. I mean, that's been around for 100 years. You need someone who does that and knows all about, you know, words and layout. And, and I, you know, I don't know anything about that except, you know, whatever I've made up, but I, I don't claim to be an expert. The other is I have people who, they don't know really what they want to do. Like they kind of know, they, you know, they want to work for themselves, and they have some ideas, 
And I say to people, you need a business coach. I'm a marketing coach, meaning you need to know what you want to do, and then I can help you get clients. But, and, of course, there's some clarification of what you do and as part of that. But if you don't really know, like, do I want to do this or that, I say you've got to find yourself a, a business coach or a life coach who can help you with that. So, again, I, I'm good at not promising stuff that I can't deliver because I think that's, that's where you run into problems. So uh, if you could uh, go back and give your uh, 30-year-old, piece, 30-year-old self a piece of advice, uh, what would you tell him? <laughs> you mean besides walk over <laughs> to Harvard, see if you can find this, like, Zuckerberg kid <laughs> and, like, just become friends with him. There you well, go. Well, that wasn't that, – that, you know, you're 57. He's yeah, like, he's like it 27. <laughs> it wasn't 30. I know. But, um, well, um, I mean, if, I know what advice I'm going to give myself, but I'm not sure how much it helps, which, let's say, when I'm 80, which is don't worry so much about the details. It all works out. But that's uh, – it's, it's, I'm not sure how much that helps you when you're, like, looking at your mortgage payment in the face, you know. <laughs> True. But I think that would be it. I mean, I, I think I left my job at the right time for me. I, I was not a – Again, entrepreneurial, so it's not like, gee, I should have started at 25. It's only because I had experience in a company that I can see how marketing as a tiny company or individual can really work against the big company because I'm very clear on what their limitations are and, and what, our, what our advantages are as, as being small. So I, I don't know. I mean, I have to say the best thing I ever did was – leave my job. If I hadn't have done that, I know I'd be regretting it. And, it. and if I tried to do it now, I do think the, the older you get, the harder it gets. So uh, I want to be respectful of your time here, but I got a few quick draw questions. I'm good till, the, till half past the hour. Okay. Um, uh, one of them is, uh, like, what does goal setting look like for you? Um, I don't really do it. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't have a business plan. I mean, again, this could be one of those things where, I, like, when someone says goal setting, I proudly say, oh, I don't do it. Maybe I've just made that up as that's what I, I don't do. I, I don't really have, like, the mental patience for that for some reason. Um, I'm much better in the moment. So um, even my book, which just came out, I only decided to do it in, like, three months ago. I mean, I kind of knew it was going to, oh, yeah, this is going to be a book one day. And then one day I was like, gee, it's the middle of the summer here. I've got, it's a little quiet. I'm just going to make this a book. And then I just kind of run as fast as I can to get it to be a book. But I don't have any kind of, like, you know, in three years I want to be doing this or that. I just tend to um, wade into stuff. And that's my style in general. I mean, when I work with a client, I don't do a lot of preparation. Unless there's something specific like a website I need to take a look at. I, I've done it long enough that I know all I have to do is sort of show up and be present. And, and the questions I should be asking them will come and that I'll be able to help them. Um, but I don't have this, like, grand plan at all for my business or even, even for my week. I just kind of keep going. But you know what? That... That fits me pretty well. I mean, I think also in a big company, that was also difficult for me. So I could do the plan because you had to do the plan for the, you know, the year or whatever. But I, I never really got 
found a lot of benefit for that. Even though I know, you know, I know a lot of people do. But I, I think a lot of working for yourself is like figuring out what's your what's your approach and applying it. So you could be listening to this thinking that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. How can you not have plans and goals? And and I think for someone who see, thinks that way, then you're right. But I would think I don't see the benefit to me of a business plan because. All I'm trying to do is make a living enjoying myself. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to build some huge thing. So, you know, I've started, at some point, I started to realize I just need to enjoy myself. I mean, I'm very happy to say, and this is like the last tip on my, in my book, that I didn't miss my kids growing up. My youngest just went to college. I went to every game, every parent's night. You know, I never had work get in the way came home for dinner. I come home for lunch every day. So that's a pretty good arrangement. That's awesome. Are there, uh, are there any books that you've read multiple times or favorite books? Um, and as an author, maybe books that you've given away other than your own that you, uh, you yeah. find impactful? Yes. In fact, and I know we're going to talk about this at some point, but I have a list of the 11 books that I recommend that people can download. Um, but one of them, which I've been giving away recently, is called Do the Work by a guy named Stephen Pressfield. And this book is about what gets in your way of just doing what you're trying to do. So he's, a, he's like a screenwriter, whether it's, you know, writer's block or running your business. And he is a really, it's a little book, and he has this really interesting way of, say, of talking about the like the dragon that you have to fight because it wants you not to do, you know, what you're trying to do. And it's sort, of, it's sort of oriented more towards, you know, artists and writers and people like that. But I think it applies to people like us, too, who, you know, you definitely have days where you're like, what am I doing? And, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, so that one's really good. Um, I also recommend for people who um, – are trying to focus their business. There's a book called The Pumpkin, the Pumpkin Plan by a guy named Mike, and I'm going to kill the pronunciation of his name, but it's something like Michalowicz. But if you look up The Pumpkin Plan, and his book is about why you need to have a narrow focus in order to be successful. And um, he gives a lot of great examples, and I think just makes a really good case. To me, the idea of a narrow focus is maybe the single best piece of business advice I ever got. Like, I stumbled into email newsletters, but I've still got people, even though I haven't, I haven't said I do email newsletters as my main thing for six or seven years, who still think of me as, like, the newsletter guy. And that's really helpful because, you know, we don't spend money on marketing or anything like that. So you want to be associated with a particular thing. And Mike, in his book, does a really good job of explaining why and, and telling you what you can do about it. And where can we find your list of 11 books? Uh, I have a special page for you, michaelkatz.com slash mall. And you can get my list. You can get the first 15 tips of the 121 of my book, and you can get other you know stuff that comes along with that. Perfect. Do you have any uh, specific morning rituals? I especially love your podcast about upstairs, downstairs activities, oh, yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> I am... Um, I exercise six days a week, and um, obviously it's healthy, but I find that that's, that's really helpful. What um, time? What time? Yeah. Well, it's funny. <laughs> now that my youngest has gone to college, 
and my wife works for herself too. It's like, oh, Jesus, seven o'clock here. We should be getting up. <laughs> like he used to get up for high school at six. So, uh, but here's the thing: I, I pretty much work ten to six is my working schedule. So I never get to my office before ten, and be, and, and I exercise in the morning, so that works out really well. Um, but even that, talk about rules. When I first started working on my own, I came to my office the same time I used to go to my work, which I forget exactly. It was something like 8 to 5. I was working 8 to 5. And then one day I'm like, huh, <laughs> I could do whatever I want. It was a whole other year before I realized that my business doesn't have a dress code. <laughs> and I, I, I'm like, you know, I look good if I have to see people, but, you know, I pretty much shave every other day. And, you know, I dress, I probably dress better on the weekend. So, um, again, it's so much about finding a right rhythm. I'm better. I, I write some of my best stuff between, like, 4 and 6 o'clock. And, um, and actually, now that we don't have any kids at home, my wife's working for herself, too. A lot of times I'll text her and say, you know, can we do 7 o'clock? Because I'm like, okay, I'm in a good zone here on something. And I think it's important to figure out when are you at your best for different things. I find for my own newsletter, which more so than my clients has a little, you know, whimsy and humor and stuff, it's good if I'm kind of getting a little tired at the end of the day. It's like it, it comes easier that way. Um, yeah. Do you have any specific rituals or anything before bed in the evening? Um, <laughs> I eat a bowl of cereal every night before I go to bed. What awesome. Kind? What kind? Uh, great grains. Oh. When we go to, like, you know, some BJ's or Sam's Club, depending on where you live, I'll get, like, you know, 15 of those boxes. And it's just so funny because, you know, I mean, we don't watch a lot of TV, but I like I do that in front of TV. And so my wife will be like, you know, it'll be like 10 o'clock, and she'll say, have you had your cereal yet? I mean, that's like a ritual. That's awesome. And if I'm traveling or something in a hotel, I'm always like, oh, I can't go to sleep. <laughs> but I'm like, full of cereal. I could have just eaten dinner an hour ago. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know where that began, but that... That is a ritual, definitely. I love it. Yeah. Mine, mine's frosted mini wheats, but I did that. I did that every morning for breakfast for years and years and years. And I was, was going to ask you, what do you do for exercise? Uh, the reason I asked, Tucker owns a CrossFit gym, so they make yeah. us do CrossFit. Uh, so I didn't know what you were doing for exercise because you are a second degree black belt. So yeah, but that's yeah. As of 1987, I am. So <laughs> if you if you attack me 30 years ago, I I, I can take care of myself. Um, I do well. So I play bat. I play basketball once a week. Um, I don't exercise the next day because I have to recover. So that's the six days, and then I split it up between um, elliptical. I used to run, but my my knee is what's going to ultimately do me in. So but I don't run anymore because I, I sort of save it all for basketball. And then I do the P90X stuff, which I really like. Um, I like the guy, which I know some people like. My wife can't stand him. <laughs> When she'd walk by and he's talking, but I think he's so funny. <laughs> um, That's so how Tucker I do, started I before he did CrossFit. He was doing P90X. Yeah, I've been through it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, anyway, I do that. And, uh, that's cool. it. Yeah. Do you have any uh, quotes or sayings or mantras or anything that you keep around as a constant reminder? I do. In fact, my, uh, my, my entire marketing plan, pretty much, like 95% is, is – Stay in front of the people you know over and over again in a way that positions you as a likable expert. And that's my whole thing in the, in the sense that 
it's people you know, so I'm not trying to market to strangers. I don't care if Google, if you find me. It's all about I know a certain number of people, and people then sign up for my newsletter, so now I'm talking to them. So it's a small, relatively small group of people on earth, but I stay in front of them. It's over and over again because, you know, you, like I'm speaking at some conference next week. You know, that's nice, but as soon as I'm done, some other guy's speaking. Like those people aren't going to remember me. They're not, they're not clients. I mean, you may get somebody here and there, but I don't consider that marketing. That's just like exposure. And then it's the likable expert thing. So I think people have to, they have to believe you're really good at what you do. And so there are things like publishing a book and, you know, things like that that, ha- that help them think, okay, this person's good. But I actually think the likability part matters even more because every serious competitor you have is equally qualified. And, you know, people spend a lot of time trying to say, here's why we're better. But it's, even if it's true, which it probably isn't, it's like you can't tell. You don't know how good your financial planner is or your accountant or your doctor. Like, who knows? And the truth is they're all probably fine. The likability piece, though, do they feel comfortable with you? Do they feel like you're taking care of them? Do they just like hanging around with you? I think particularly if you're selling a service, that's how people decide who to hire. And so, you know, I do specific things like, try and write and talk in a normal way. I, you know, send birthday cards to people. It's the, it's, you know, to talk to your point earlier, it's so obvious and easy. I sometimes think, how can anyone need my help with, you know what, you should send people thank you notes. But the thing is, most people dismiss that as not serious marketing, and so they don't do it. Whereas, you know, when I went to public to promote this book and emailed my list and said, hey, would you help me? You know, I've gotten a barrage of people, some of whom I've never even heard of, saying, oh, yeah, I just put it on Facebook. So there's, there's definitely tangible benefits to being likable and being available for your business, even though it feels so sort of soft and squishy. What, uh, what's one to two things that people could do in the next uh, week or month that would have a drastic impact on their lives? Sure. <laughs> um, well, I would say, like, I don't like that question. <laughs> it's sort of like if someone said to Tucker, hey, my high school reunion's on Sunday. What do you recommend so I can lose 40 pounds? Sure. You're like, come see me a year ago. <laughs> cut your leg so off. <laughs> my marketing approach is like, it's, I use exercise as the uh, metaphor all the time. There's nothing you can do exercise-wise to get in shape drastically and quickly. That's, you know, that's worth doing. But if you do it, you know it's very predictable. You just have to do it for a while. That's my same approach to marketing. So you can start today very simply. Like I, when I do one of my courses, I say to people, over the next 30 days, write a handwritten note to 30 different people. Just do that. You don't need stationery. Just go to the supermarket and get, you know, cards. And I've had people come back. You know, always, people are always, like, grumbling about it. I've had people come back. They're like, who do I write to? I don't know. Write to some past clients or current clients. Just thank them for being clients or whatever. People come back and say, I can't believe it. This old client just hired me. So you could do that today, this idea of just reach out to people you know, even if you haven't been in touch for a long time. And people are often feeling like, well, I haven't talked to this person for five years. You know, isn't that weird? And I'm like, hey, they haven't talked to you either, so they're not going to think, where's he been? And people are so, they feel so good when someone from five years ago says, you know, I was just thinking about you. How you doing? And the thing is, I do that all the time. And 
you know, if you and I know each other, I'm like 10 times more likely to just reach out to you. But that's, that's part of my approach. So that, I think, is a simple thing you can do right now, 30 days, one person a day. I mean, I like the handwritten note, but it could be email. And just say hello. Like, I'm not selling people anything. I'm just checking in. How you doing? But the funny thing is, those people bring people to you or sometimes even hire you. Cool. Where can we find more about you? Are you on Twitter, Facebook, um, your website, all that good stuff? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the simplest, again, would be the michaelcats.com slash mall just to sort of get some stuff. And then, you know, once you do that, I'll, I'll email you for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, I am on Twitter at Michael J. Katz. And um, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, as well. And then my, my main site is Blue Penguin Development. And your last name's K-A-T-Z. You got it. Perfect. One more question. We'll let you go. Uh, What would you like for your personal legacy to be? Oh, that's good. Um, I guess as much as I joked before that, you know, I don't don't help people, um, I would like for people to think that I was um, useful and helpful and, you know, added some humor to their work life. Like, that'd be a nice thing. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time. This has been great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me on. I, you know, this has been fun. You guys are a good, a good team. Well, thank you. <laughs> thanks for your time. Congratulations on your book. Stop by oneanddonetraining.com. That's the number one, A-N-D-D-O-N-E, training.com. There you'll find our blog, media library, and ongoing training to help with your final expense career. Thanks. We'll see you there.